0: Hey, you guys, before the episode with Mary Catherine Hamm starts, I want to talk to you about Blinds.com. Blinds.com is not your average online window coverings company. It's a place where a helpful team of friendly decorator experts make it easy to order and install new window coverings. Their customer service team makes it easy and they're with you every step of the way. And I am now the proud owner of beautiful dark blue Roman shades in my bedroom. Uh, I knew that I wanted to change the window coverings in the bedroom, so I got in touch with blinds.com and they do make it super easy and they help you every step of the way. And I sent them photos of my bedroom and then they suggested some various options because I didn't know. I didn't, I wasn't like, I want Roman shades. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, but they recommended them or, or rather they made some recommendations. And then from those I chose, and then now they're up and I love them. And specifically what I love about these shades is that they lower from the top or the bottom. So I can totally control how much privacy and how much light we have and all that stuff. Um, and I would not have been able to do it without Blinds.com because I wouldn't have known what I was doing at all. So they are super awesome. August is either hotter than ever or hinting at fall. Either way, it's the calendar's reminder that colder days are ahead, God willing. Fortunately, cellular shades from Blinds.com have you covered in both extremes because they are insulating, They have an insulating honeycomb core, uh, and you can get blackout light filtering cellular shades or day-night cellular shades, cordless cellular shades, so you can walk around your apartment on them, motorized cellular shades, all sorts of things. Um, Go to blinds.com, check it out. Go to blinds.com today and start enjoying your home and patio without that annoying heat and glare. You'll see easy in a whole new light with blinds.com. Okay, here is the episode with Mary Catherine Ham. This is her, I think, yes, it's her third time on the show. That's how much I love her. She's awesome. I think you guys will love the episode. Here it is.
1: Allison
2: Rosen, Allison, Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison.
0: everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison and Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with my friend, Mary Catherine Ham, and this is her third time on the show. It is. You're in a special group of people. I know. I feel very honored. Well, good. Um, I'm excited to see you because it's been, I guess, it's been like over
1: a year, right? Yes. I think so. I only tell time in how old my kid is now. So <laughs> she was like seven months old then, and now she's almost two. Okay. I, I only tell time in how frequently you visit the podcast.
0: There you go. So it's got to be... You know, we're going on year three. Um, so for new people, oh well, I should say you're the author of new book, End of Discussion, How the Left's Outrage Industry Shuts Down Debate, Manipulates Voters, and Makes America Less Free and Fun. Uh so we'll get into that. Cool. But I should say for new listeners who might not be familiar with you or familiar with you on my podcast, we have sort of, I would say, perhaps an unlikely friendship. Some would say that, given that we are on different sides of the political spectrum. Although I don't think either of us want to be defined by our politics. No, that
1: is not all we are. No, we're so much more.
0: (laughs) Um, But we met doing Red Eye. Yes, And then you're um, someone who is I love that you're a fan of my podcast. I and you're a huge fan. Yeah. That makes me feel so happy and you weigh in a lot and and we're friends even though you are you consider you're
1: considered conservative, yes. Yes, I'm a libertarian leaning conservative, but I'm comfortable with conservative as the label. But okay. it's my job once a week to tell Bill O'Reilly to chill out. It's basically <laughs> what I do for a living. Right. <laughs>
0: and I, I think everyone knows I'm left leaning, but not super duper political. Right. Um, but you know, I think you you just get branded something or other. Um, so anyway, trying to figure out where we should start. Well, catch me up since the last time you were on when
1: you had just had a baby. I had had a baby. She was nice and portable at that time. Mm -hmm. She's not with me on this trip because that is tougher now. (laughs) Um, she has, you know, a whole mind of her own and makes decisions and doesn't always listen to me. So here I am on my own. It's actually been tough. I'm on book tour for End of Discussion and have been gone for two weeks away from her now, and another maybe week before I see her again. So that's mm-hmm. been rough. She's back in D.C. Right? That's where you live. Yes, DC Dad with your is husband. holding down the fort. So uh, they're having it. They're doing pretty well. I get proof of life photos <laughs> and with uh, a newspaper next to it. Exactly. I hope. Well, we don't actually have any newspapers. It have to be like the iPad version. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she's doing well and. Yeah. Basically, I've been writing, raising a kid and writing a book since I saw you last. Right. Yeah. I
0: know. I saw you. Um, I forget when that was that you came out and you were in the process of writing it. And I, so you co-authored this with Guy Benson. Yes. And I was asking at the time, and I'm always fascinated by how that works when you actually co-author a book. But before we get into that, let's just talk about what the book is about. Um, I just received it I don't know how many minutes ago, not long enough ago to have read the whole thing. But I I read the beginning of it and I've thumbed through it. And I was, you know, as someone who's who's left-leaning, there were parts when I read it where I was like, oh, wait,
1: but wait. Right. But then I was like, actually, just try to focus on the things you agree with. And most of it I do agree with. So that's kind of the idea behind the book. And it uh, it's called End of Discussion because it's about this increasing cultural trend where it feels like, anyone who disagrees with sort of generally the overriding liberal orthodoxy but it's not always the left i should point that out and that's pointed out in the book many times um we have to like punish that person and just you know maybe you should lose your job if you put up the wrong facebook post Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people are reacting to this all across the spectrum and like i said it doesn't only come from the left but it is sort of A lot of this stuff is born on college campuses, which are no right-wing institutions. Right. And I am genuinely worried about what that does for free speech and inquiry and relationships like we have, frankly, Mm -hmm. which is like, it's really healthy to have a relationship with somebody who believes different different things from you and to know that that person is a human being and is not evil. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like a lot of the national conversation, such that it is, turns the other side into evil pariahs uh, and really limits our ability to actually have discussions about anything serious. Right. And you you make the point in the
0: book that it becomes more than just disagreeing with what the person's saying. It becomes disagreeing
1: with their very existence. Yes. And one of the things we talk about in the book, and one of the reasons it's called the left's outrage industry as opposed to liberals, is because the book is designed to be not immediately thrown away <laughs> if a moderate or a liberal picks it up. Um, I flatter myself to think it's a pretty fun read as political... Books go. And because there are true liberals, and if you are a liberal, you do believe in free expression and in pushing boundaries for free speech and in allowing people to do that. And I feel like that's why we picked that word as opposed mm-hmm. to liberal, because I would like to appeal to plenty of other people who are on board with that. Um, and, and probably Bill Maher is one of them. I'm actually on his show tomorrow. Have you done his show before? No, this will be the first time. Oh, how exciting. Yes. Now,
0: are you and that your co-author are doing the show or just
1: you? Just me. How did that happen? And how does he feel about that? (laughs) He's cool with it. Um, I have been invited to do the show before, but never have made it happen. Uh, So I'm excited about it. And like I said, on some of the speech issues, he and I are down. I actually had a pre-interview and they're like, you guys are agreeing quite a lot. (laughs) About some things, so um, he's quoted approvingly in the book, which I'm sure some right leaning readers are like, "What is she doing?" Right. Um, but on some of these issues, he's really on, and he actually spoke about the comedy stuff uh, recently, saying, "Hey, maybe if we didn't freak out about everything everyone said, comedians could be funnier, and we could stop like being such spoil sports." And that's right. that's part of what it's it's about is not only does like all these new boundaries for free speech make us less free but it is less fun Mm -hmm. like taking chances is fun being able to say oh that person said the wrong thing and we can sort of move on from that is part of how we do life in america well at the beginning of the book you talk about that moment you're
0: on facebook and you're wanting or then when one is on facebook and wanting to write something where you're actually expressing how you feel about something and that fear of posting it because what's going to happen seconds later and i know that i as someone who's somewhat in the public eye Who are we kidding? Completely in the public eye. I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um, I feel that all the time. There's such a difference between posting a photo of Wendy and posting a photo that represents something I actually, you know, I I feel strongly. And sometimes I liken it to chumming the waters. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just like, okay, come, come and get it come and get me now that I've said
1: something that I know that let's say half the people who read it are going to disagree with. Well, and I think you also were in an environment a yeah. former employer where many of the devotees of the show knew you as somebody who disagreed with them on politics. And that can be very chilling in and of itself. Like, I, I know that these people are not going to agree with what I'm saying. And I think we've just lost some of our ability as a society to say, like, yeah, we disagree. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Well, what bothers me, and I would imagine this bothers you
0: too, is when someone is like, oh, you believe that. That means you are a, well, I mean, I get the term libtard a lot. Yes. And lately, you know, there's someone on my on my uh, website today who's, who's g- taking umbrage with the fact that apparently, apparently I want to ban the Confederate flag. And it's like, I never said ban it. Right. That's not what I said. I said, let's not divorce it from what it means to a lot of people and to do that is to put blinders on. And it's like when someone takes a, a, a scintilla of what you said and then fills in the rest with bullshit, that drives me nuts.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, on my side, I just get bigot, racist, homophobe, whatever it is right. that's being thrown at me at the moment. And turning each side and each person who belongs to quote unquote each side into these caricatures is actually really unfulfilling and you meet people and you talk to them it's for a little anti-intellectual. bit intellectual yeah and you talk to them for a little bit and you're like oh we have different things that are outside of our team that right. we agree on and different things that are part of our team's beliefs and it's so much more fun to explore that than just to say why do you even exist if you weren't here America would be so much better like that's <laughs> <laughs> right if we all thought and felt the exact exactly same
0: exactly the thing. same well so i'm wondering cuz in the forward or intro to your book, you mentioned that some of the people on the right might have a problem with some of the things you say and feel like you're a Republican in name only. Is that something you've been encountering with the book?
1: Not a ton, which is nice. And and there are moments in the book. And of course, people who are of the left will read the book and say, you're not hard enough on the right. And that's fine and fair. Uh, there are moments where we say, for instance, the one that really ticks me off that we made sure we added to the book is... Um, on the issue of criminal justice reform and a lot of these incidents in Ferguson or in New York, where you have these big Baltimore, we have these big protests uh, far too many conservatives saying, well, why do you just hate the police? And it's like, no, you actually can just differ with the use of force and have some issues with how this system is working without hating the police. And you can acknowledge that many of them are wonderful and do a wonderful job while also saying, it seems like there's some systemic problems with the use of force in a couple places, and let's talk about that. Right, And so that's something we point out, and I, I think we wanted to be intellectually honest and say, look, this isn't just one side. But I do think the system for creating the outrage often when like not that many people are actually offended by somebody is very expert and perfected on the left. And I, we argue in the book hey, let's let's <laughs> let's not get really good at this, America. Like, now do you, we want to be good at this?
0: Now, you think it's perfected on the left? Because I would say, or I would wonder, is it perfected by the media? And then I, I can already hear people saying, yeah, but the media is left. But right. let's just take that away from it for a second. Because, you know, like I just had Brooks Whelan on my show. And he talked in an open, honest, measured way about not measured on purpose but i just think that's where he is emotionally like in a in a centered place about being fired from SNL right and there was a Salon article and the headline was, I forget exactly, but it was something like, you know, fired SNL cast member, Brooks Whelan, fires back, says he's angry at Lauren. And then you read it and it's like the actual quote. Is not about
1: the, No, the actual quote so much was more like, nuanced.
0: yeah, of course I'm mad at him You because I liked the job and you have to be mad at someone who fires you. But at the same time, he gave me my dream. It was like right. not at it. all. It was so
1: chill. It was Yes. Not.
0: Right. So you know, thank you for the uh, the clicks and the attention. But that was a headline that was just to grab people. And I've noticed like when Jennifer Lee Pryor was on my show, um, you know, she said so much interesting stuff, but it was the incendiary Bill Cosby stuff she said that got picked up. And it's been just kind of a disenchanting lesson in what the media runs with.
1: Yes, I think that's obviously part of the problem. And we write about that in end of discussion. And certainly, I think social media which i love i am no luddite i love my twitter i love my instagram i love all of it uh but social media combined with new media and our incentive to get clicks uh, right. and to create clickbait, i think is all part of this puzzle for sure and it is depressing sometimes but like one of the things and we didn't want it to be just a joyless slog to read the book um or for <laughs> that people wasn't to, your goal to well you know, <laughs> that was the first goal when we, we revamped it um <laughs> But I found hope in like the discussion that happens among comedians and entertainers because this has been sort of under the radar t- a talk that they've been having for a long time, and we included it in the book uh, because they know that their lifeblood is to experiment with words. Yes, and if you can't do that because someone with an iPhone recording you is just looking to be offended at every single thing, like that's just not any fun, right? And so I've, I've found hope in people kind of pushing back on that. Right. Well, I mean, I noticed that the sitcoms
0: – people are going to laugh when I say this – but the sitcoms that I grew up with, and everyone knows I like Facts of Life, or Growing Pains or Family Ties, or you know, All in the Family was before my time, but All in the Family as well, they were so much more daring than any sitcom now. Like, I, Any sitcom you turn on now, it's about – like, the stories are not emotionally driven. I don't think they're really experimenting with anything. Maybe in terms of the lifestyles they'll depict, that is is more forward than it was back then. But what was driving Facts of Life plotline or Family Ties plotlines were stuff that was so much... They were willing to explore so much that shows just won't even touch now. I don't think it's politics. I think it's... Well, but it's fear of Of getting angry letters and sponsors pulling their
1: ads. Right. And I think the power of a tiny group of people to say, hey, this is really ticking me off. I mean, the Cancel Colbert uh, campaign over one tweeted joke, which was quite obviously satire and not offensive, uh, was started by one social media activist, one Twitter account. And it was a three-day national news story. And he apologized. And the Twitter account was deleted. And we have to find the strength, a la Joan Rivers, to just say, (laughs) look noted. Right. But we're not going to stop talking. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. There was what, what was the example in your book where, oh, I shouldn't set it up this way. Cause you're going to be, I don't know that I'm going to be able to describe it well enough for you to guess, but there was someone who just refused to back down. I just read something about someone.
1: There's probably a lot of examples. There's a couple people. And Joan Rivers is a specific one who we laud frequently because right. even though her style and my style are very different, like we're not we're not pro rudeness. Like Guy Benson, who wrote the book with me, is so kind and gracious. Uh, It's just like a wonderful human being. We're both sort of low key as far as cable news personalities go. But Joan Rivers is one of my heroes because she was genuinely unapologetic. And the beauty of her approach is when somebody comes to her and says, you told a joke that made some people upset. Please apologize. She goes, no, I'm a comedian. And then they don't know what to do with themselves. Right. They're like, the next story was supposed to be about you apologizing. And then they move on to the next victim. <laughs> That's it, how it works. In
0: general, in life, being unapologetic is something that I admire, but it's so not me. I it's, remember, did you ever watch The L Word? Yes, occasionally. Um, I remember Shane, remember Shane the character of Shane, she either someone described her as being unapologetic as they liked about her or she told someone else to be more unapologetic. And I think they were talking about in terms of like being your true self,
1: but I was just like, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm so apologetic (laughs) for everything. Yeah. I would not say that I am unapologetic in on a daily basis. I think there's a fine line between being that and being just a A dick. dick. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But societally, I think sometimes when, when, people act like they're about upset about something we call it in a discussion we call it a cultural flop yeah like in soccer when you fall down and grab your knee uh and it's not hurt we need to be able to say like dude chill out Mm -hmm. like this is not actually an offense right well okay so i do have to ask this
0: and then we'll go to more fun stuff you feel like the left has mastered this game because from where i sit i i know what you're saying but then it's also like to me i turn on a conservative station let's say and it's like you know, Obama uses the word czar, right, <laughs> like right. that kind of, and it's like there seems to be a lot of
1: manufactured outrage over there too. Yeah. And we say that in end of discussion that we do plenty on our own. We argue that we are not as good at it. And we also argue and admonish our side not to try to get better at it. um Part of that, I think, and this is why, You know, left-leaning thinkers like Jonathan Chait and others have written about it specifically with the left. Is because, like I said, a lot of it is birthed on college campuses. Right. It's all these the new terms with the privilege and mansplaining and um, and all this kind of thing. Do you do you feel? Sorry, I cut you off. Do you feel like there's a kernel of something good in all that, though? Yes. Like, for instance, white privilege is like self-awareness is wonderful, and knowing what advantages you came into this world with are helpful in understanding other people's disadvantages. Mm using that to say, listen, white, wealthy man, you're not allowed to have a p- an opinion on this subject, I think is unhelpful. Right. So when it's used as a cudgel, I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. Yeah. When it's used to shut someone up. Yes. Yeah. That's I the agree. part that bothers me. And it's, it's used far too often for that. Uh, and so I think you see it sort of these new terms born on campus and then they get sort of proliferated through the media, partly because many on the left are sympathetic to these notions mm-hmm. and sort of amplified. And I think our our thought is that the power of amplification through academia and through much of the media and through certainly entertainment, uh, is more powerful on the left. And we think we think, thankfully, that many of our outrage merchants are easily written off as cranks by the sort of cultural tastemakers. Right. Uh and that's actually good. We just need to be careful to do it to both sides and make sure that like cranks are not taking over. <laughs> now you did quote Ben Shapiro. Yes. Do you agree with him on a lot of things? Uh I would say not a ton of things. I mean, there there probably are plenty of things. Our styles are extremely different. Yeah. Um, But he made the point about this amplification power and why that's one of the reasons. I mean, sure, many activists on the right wish to be better at this and wish that this was the game we played every day uh, and that you could get the nightly news to do the story that you want them to do. I say that's not a good goal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Ben Shapiro and I would, I think would differ on many things. When you
0: were in college and I think you're a few years younger than I am, I'm forgetting how old you are, but so, but sort of roughly around the same time we were in college, um, where did you, f- did you feel like there was a lot of political correctness at that time? Cause I know that I did on my campus, I went to Pomona college, which is a liberal arts college and there was a ton of, you know, cultural sensitivity, awareness raising, a lot of talk about all of that. And it did make me um it was eye-opening but it made me feel like fuck I thought that I was an aware sensitive person and now I'm afraid to say the. I'm suddenly afraid to say the wrong thing
1: yes I I did feel it I went to the University of Georgia so it's obviously a a different different environment (laughs) um it's still very liberal all college campuses are um for the most part with very few exceptions but um I think less, it was less than than it is now. It's really gotten to a point where college campuses feel like the exact opposite of a place where you can allow free inquiry. Mm-hmm. I did feel like a weirdo, and I was a person who stood up in class and just said, I disagree with this. And then people would come to me after class and go, thanks for saying. And I'm like, you don't have <laughs> Was to. Was it a math or- class?
0: Because that's weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is race and gender in the media. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I yeah, I took representations of African Americans right. in American cultural discourse. Well, and the the sad thing for me, and this is one of the reasons we wrote into discussion, is like from my life, I grew up in a very liberal town. I went to majority minority schools, and one of the wonderful things about that is, as kids and high school students and middle school students, especially because middle school students are out of their minds. Um, <laughs> You could sit down with your black friends and really actually have a conversation. And I had friends who would just say, ask me whatever you want. And we would say, ask me whatever you want. And nobody was looking to be offended. Mm -hmm. It was such a great learning experience for both sides. And then I get to college and it's like nothing like that. Right. It's like, this is the conversation you will have. These are the questions you're allowed to ask. And you will learn only a few things that are sort of within the realm of acceptability. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I
0: guess when it's motivated by trying to make sure that no one accuses you of not being sensitive as opposed to being motivated by trying to educate or by something more genuine than I, I don't know. I, I do. I do see all sides of it. It's also been a long time since I've been on a college campus. Okay, and since I'm just name checking conservatives <laughs> that I disagree with, Dennis Prager, I think, is very opposed to any sort of uh, education beyond eighth grade. That's not fair. He's very opposed <laughs> to colleges and universities, right? Um, because you know they're gonna they're gonna turn men into women and women into men, and we're just gonna have one gender.
1: <laughs> but like at the same time, he's a very erudite guy, right? He he would not be anti. Well, he has a bunch of self-education and like, yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's, it's confusing because he has
0: a bunch of degrees himself and seems educated ish and yet it has, you know, there's no end to how many negative things he would say about, about college campuses and universities and how they're indoctrinating, you know, students and stuff how do you feel about his views and him well i
1: en- i enjoyed college. i think dennis prager is a smart and interesting dude and i also like his tone a lot um when it comes to talk radio he's he certainly has a different style and in fact i think a lot of women listeners as a really? result of that um and I, I enjoy him um i also really enjoyed college i think i got a lot out of it but i do think there's merit in looking at whether that's necessary. The Peter Thiel argument that like, if you have a great idea and you want to go start a business, you should do that. Mm-hmm. And when people got so up in arms about that, I was like, you know, college can be great for certain people. It's not always great for everyone. And a hundred thousand bucks in debt may not be the greatest decision you ever made when you were sev- when you're 17 years old, that you're going to be paying this off for the rest right. of your life. So a little cost benefit analysis on that front is good. And colleges, are, I think genuinely are getting a little freaky with the extent to which, like this, uh, was it the Northwestern professor who wrote a piece uh, in a journal, like an academic journal, and was almost booted off campus for having written a piece that disagreed uh, with the prevailing notion about sexual assault statistics. Oh, I see. I don't know and about she's And no, she's no right-leaning individual. She right. just was like, let's explore this and talk about the facts and... They were having none of that. Yeah. And so that, that kind of thing is really anti-intellectual and not not a place where I think I'd be like, oh, I'm excited to pay for my kid to go here. Right, for to 60, have their mind a year. opened. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I, I agree
0: wholeheartedly with with the idea that the end of discussion should never be the goal. It should never be the goal to just yeah. shut people up or to just win an argument. Well, so do you suggest
1: some any solutions? Well, one of them is that like, The irony of this is that these groups can be so small that make such a giant noise um, that we sort of, first of all, we didn't want to be too hubristic about it. And so the chapter for advice is advice sort of because this is a (laughs) giant like cultural entrenched problem. And most I know the deal as authors is to pretend like we know all the answers. We we don't know all the answers. Um, We sort of half jokingly call for a coalition to chill the hell out, Mm -hmm. which is like all the rest of America could just sign a petition that's like. I don't care what the politics of this pasta company are. I was just, (laughs) it's decent pasta. Can we move on? Right. Um, So I think a nice dose of that. I think more of a dose of corporations and public figures just going, look, chill out. Um, Margaret Cho is a perfect example. Uh, When she did the impression of the North Korean, I think it was at the golden globes Uh and people got all over her. And she was like, first of all, I'm Korean. (laughs) Second of all, This is a dictatorship. It's okay to make fun of them. Right. Uh, And she just told people to like screw off. And that's powerful and needs to be done sometimes. Mm. So a little more of that would be helpful. Yes. Um, I did think, and I think I had sort of, I was
0: sort of aware of this, but what I wasn't as aware as I was after reading about it in the book, the fact that the vagina monologues was considered not inclusive enough to all women, that, that's kind of, that's when it folds in on itself. Well, yeah.
1: And that's the interesting thing. And I, and I don't want to be, I don't want to just have schadenfreude about the fact that the left kind of eats itself on these issues, but I do hope that it's instructive um, because you get in these situations where the vagina monologues is not enlightened and feminist enough for a college campus. And it's like, come on, like, <laughs> let's just, you can have this play. It used to be the symbol of all feminism. Like, right. Uh, it is not, it is not like transgressive and and awful now. Uh, so I think you, you do get into this really bad cycle where people start just like, throwing flags on each other and never listening. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How has your experience um, promoting the book been? It's been really nice, actually. The beauty of a book that's about let's talk about this stuff and not be mean to each other (laughs) is that as soon as somebody's like, why are you such a bigot for writing this book? You can be like, you're kind of proving me right. Right, right. Um, Oh, I
0: want to write a book called I Want to Come on Your Show and Talk About My Book. And then (laughs) they'll be like,
1: that's what this is about. Yeah, that's what this is about. (laughs) I mean, I want to come. No, it should be I want to come on a show and talk about myself. There you go. With my book. (laughs) So- it's actually been very nice, and we've been well received at MSNBC. Um, and we'll see what happens with Bill Maher. But like I said, he's he's uh, good on some of these issues. Are you but doing think- the the panel, or are you mm-hmm. yeah doing the panel? That's and because cool. I, I think, like I said, I think a lot of people across the spectrum feel this. Yes, and feel it in different areas of their life. And the the final straw for us was kind of like the way it trickled down from public figures who I think are rightly held to a slightly different standard. I take on some of this language policing. And the fact that I know Media Matters is going to be watching everything I say, like that's part of the game. I get it. Mm. I'm supposed to be disciplined. I don't think that private citizens should have to live by the same standard lest they b- lose their jobs or become national pariahs. Are you talking about like Justine Sacco? Yeah. I mean, she's like the pr- the archetype. Right. So this. for
0: li- for any listeners who don't know, she
1: did publicity for... She, yeah, she did uh, PR. For Barry Diller's company. Some kind of technology company. Yeah. And she IAC, tweeted a... I think most would argue tasteless uh, yeah. joke uh, before she got on a plane to Africa, and by she the said time it was something
0: like going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just, just, kidding, just kidding, I, I can't. I'm white. I'm white. Right. Which though, if Sarah Silverman had made that joke, everyone would would get it because we know her persona. But yes. here's Justine Sacco, who's not a comedian. No one thinks she makes jokes, and yes. it's like she's the the not the face, but she's a publicist for a huge company, and so it was just. There were hashtags has Justine landed. She was on a plane for I think 18 hours or something. So, yeah, something like that. With no internet
1: and and there was so much tension on her. Yeah. And I, I think I think you're right. Had a comedian tweeted that, maybe the reaction would have been different. Right. But this is one of those things where it's like if you're looking to be offended by this joke, and like, sure, it's a it's a borderline joke, right? But to me it was fairly obvious. Like, I don't think she's literally saying that she's not literally congratulating a, herself she's exactly she's yeah. making a she's making a satirical point about the fact that some right. ignorant people think this yes. right uh so that seems fairly obvious to me and regardless of what you think of the joke by the time she landed she, this person who we had never heard of before was an international pariah right like that is a problem uh and since then we write about it in the book there's been some soul searching pe- but about there was that. like
0: there was this it was like let's Burn her at the stake. Yes. It was a thing that people got involved in with glee. It wasn't like people were not genuinely outraged. It right. was just like, ooh, fun. We can make yeah,
1: an example of her. It was intense. I think it was a slow newsweek was mm-hmm. part of it. I think it was it over Christmas possibly. I think it was around so that. Like yeah. a slowish newsweek. Everybody the part of this too is that when something like this happens uh, it's your duty almost on social media to be like, well, of course I don't agree with the H joke girl. Right. Like, you have to make clear that you're not that person. Yeah. And so you kind of throw Justine Sacco under the bus instead of doing the harder thing, which is to say like, can we all chill out? Like mm-hmm. this was maybe not the greatest joke in the world, but she probably shouldn't be tortured over it. Um, it's way harder to make that point because then you get thrown in as the bigot as well, right? That has so happened everybody- to me before yeah. on,
0: on things where I've tried to take a more measured tone like hey let's not to ha- have this witch hunt and then it's like i still i'll still get letters from people like when you said this i almost stopped listening but i'm glad i didn't because now you know because then you said
1: something i liked yeah like, <laughs> it's like uh to get so wrapped up in this and we one of the things in the discussion we talk about is how this all feels like as political people It feels like all of life is turning into a political campaign. Yeah. So you must signal your position on every
0: single news story. Right. Well, you make that point that that most
1: people don't have a a take or a hard opinion on everything that happens. Yes. And we shouldn't force them to. Mm -hmm. And not everything is binary. Like when you're discussing Ferguson, you can have some points that are in the middle, but nobody will allow for that. You're either anti-cap or you're anti-African-Americans. It's like, no, we can have this discussion in the middle somewhere. Yeah. So that's what was bothering us and felt toxic. And we would love to put the brakes on. And I think I genuinely think that I think folks in your audience are receptive. And I think you well, gen- have the
0: best audience ever. <laughs> and you
1: you are genuinely receptive as somebody who sat in a room with folks who disagreed with you every mm. day and got along and did your thing. Uh, that is sort of the symbol of what we're capable of. And yet people pretend we're not. Right. So I'm hoping more of that.
0: Um, so how did you, who is, so the, the guy that you wrote the book with Guy Benson? who is that and how did you meet him?
1: He is a very good friend of mine. Um, he is also a Fox News contributor, uh, and he's a lovely human being. We've been friends for 10 years. And when we were thinking about, we've been approached about books before and, you know, I have a toddler, he's very busy. And when this subject came up, which we were both very concerned about, we thought, hmm, half a book sounds easier than a whole book. (laughs) So we decided to team up. We knew we would work well together. That part I was not worried about. Um, And it was something we were genuinely concerned about. And I never wanted to write like the slam book on Nancy Pelosi. Like who cares? (laughs) Uh, So this is what we decided to do. And it's been great. Like I'm more of the like scatterbrained creative one. He's Mr. Let's stick to the schedule. And he really helped me out. We know how to deal with each other and doing a book tour with somebody to hand the baton off to Mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, so it's been, it's been really good. He also, uh, in the book, uh, came out. Oh. Um, so. Damn, I wish I had read the whole book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, it's a footnote. Uh, so you might've missed it. Yeah, there's footnotes in the book, Um, too. Um, he was, he liked the idea of his coming out literally being a footnote in his book. That's funny. And, uh, the reception to that has been great. And I, of course, was invested in his emotional well-being and how this went and people both on our side and the other side have been very cool about it. And I've been very happy for him. How so, old,
0: can, can I ask how old is he? Is he a younger guy? He's he 30. Older? Um, so now when you say he came out in the book, was he living as a straight man before that? Or no, he just wasn't public with He it? wasn't public.
1: Friend, friends and family had known for a while. Right. Um, but he did feel like this is one of those things that you have to disclose at some point. How do I want to do it? And we had talked in the past about, isn't it nice how these days, people just kind of drop it into a conversation and like, oh, that guy's gay. Um, so that's what he wanted to do. And it and it turned out really nice. And our, our side has been almost uniformly sweet. Well, so I have to ask,
0: um, and it's more a question for him, but this is where I'm going to ask you to answer for him. I think that there probably are people who are like, wait, you're gay, but you're conservative. How does that work?
1: Yes. And that is <laughs> ironically uh, where most of the nastiness came from was sort of naturally left-leaning gay blog type community mm-hmm. um, sort of saying, you know, this homo con, he stands, you know, he stands for all <laughs> this a term. That's a, that's a term oh, wow. um, who stands for, you know, nothing that we stand for and he can't exist. You can't both be conservative and be gay and not be some sort of horrible sellout. Ironically, the only people who were nasty on our side Said the exact same thing. You can't be a conservative oh, and a gay man at the same so time. So they
0: had a problem with his gayness, and the ones, the other, yes. the ones on the left had a problem, problem with, with his conservatism. Conness. And
1: it's like I would love to get you guys together and tell you you agree, yeah. <laughs> because this man is a free guy and a right. free thinker in a free country, and he can believe any number of things, right? Uh, and that's one of the things we argue argue against in the book is just. This ridiculous and binary idea that if you are a woman or if you are a minority or if you are gay, you must believe all of these things in this very specific slate. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's lazy and silly right. and authoritarian. Like, we all believe any number of things. And so. Well, I mean, that's
0: it's, it's not the same and I'm not saying it's the same, but it's something I talked about before it, with my sort of figuring out what it means to be Jewish, finding out, you know, when I did later in life that I was Jewish. Long story for anyone who's listening for the first time, go back and (laughs) listen to, I've talked about it on many, an episode. It's like, people are like, oh, well then you have to do this and believe this and think this. And it's like, I don't, but I don't. Right. I don't know what those things are, but I don't think I do. Now, obviously that's not the same. I think it's less germane to who I am um, than being gay is to someone. But still it's like, You get to define these things for yourself. But, okay, now
1: another question for Guy via you. Yes. We're basically of the same mind at this point, so it's fine. (laughs) Okay,
0: good. (laughs) That must suck to have people who hate one part of you.
1: Yes. uh, It does, although the overwhelming kindness from most people has counteracted that. And also... uh, One of the beautiful things is that because he is conservative and also gay, there's this entire part of the gay population that's like, I've never heard anyone speak for me before. Mm -hmm. And so they've been in touch with him and said, it's really cool to see somebody in the spotlight who believes what I believe and says that I can exist. Like, I am this person and that's okay. Um, So that's been really nice. I think he's he's touched a lot of people in that way. And where is he on gay marriage? Uh, We are both pro. Um, and of course, have many colleagues who we kindly disagree with. That's I was going to say. Or is that a bone of contention for you sometimes? Not really. Or for them? Um, no, not not a lot, really. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's part of just the movement of society and the movement of the of the right in general. But what we argue in, in end discussion is like one of the ways we can have this discussion is because we don't automatically assume everyone who disagrees with us is a bigot. Right? Are there some people that that's where that belief comes from? Yes but it is not the majority of people that we've met who disagree with us on this issue. So where for them, where does it come from? Well, I think particularly what's hottest now is these religious freedom uh, debates mm-hmm. and what concerns actually me, even though I'm pro ma- same sex marriage is mm-hmm. the idea that if you do have a certain set of beliefs, whether it's Muslim, you know, devout Jewish or Christian that preclude your literally being involved in the celebration of a wedding ceremony of two gay Americans, that you must be sort of removed from public life. Mm -hmm. I think there's room to say that's that poor pizza place in Indiana, which was never going to cater a gay wedding, be asked to cater a gay wedding in the first place to say to them, Oh, well they, they said they serve gay customers. They're happy to do that. They would be a little uncomfortable with the wedding Uh, for, if we want to coexist for us to say, okay, well, There's another place that can do that. Right. And there are many people who disagree with that notion. But I do think there's like, there has to be a give and take to allow religious people to continue to exist in the public square. Yeah. Right. So more of a like sort of going on a case by case basis. And like a a very specific, I think Guy argues in the book for a very specific carve out for services that would require you to lend your artistic skill and speech to some extent to a celebration of a marriage that you're not in support of that we can allow some leeway for that in our society. And that forcing those businesses out of business Mm -hmm. is maybe not the way to go. Right. Right. I I mean, mean, in general, I think the, and I would prefer for somebody who is on the pro traditional marriage side to make the case for them. But in general, it's like some deep concern about this. Okay. This is a huge societal building block. What are the unintended consequences of that? And I think it's fair to be worried about that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, okay. But so what I'm wondering, though, is for the person who – I might just be asking the same question again. The person who's opposed to same-sex marriage and it's not coming from a bigoted place, where is it coming from? Is that what you just answered? Yeah. You think it's coming
1: from a concern over over commerce? No, no, that that's part of the concern that's like very heated right now. Right, and I think, okay. and I think actually, what's what's been really effective by gay marriage ag- advocates is to say, to appeal to people's libertarian sense and say, "I'm not here to mess with your life. This is not going to mess with your love. Like, you know, we're all going to do this together, and it'll be great." And that has worked because Americans are receptive to that kind of thing. It has felt like in the religious freedom debate, as soon as the political high ground was gained, it was like, okay, well, now we're going to crush you. Like, this, is, this is no longer about us coexisting. If your bakery doesn't want to make me a cake, your bakery cannot exist. Right. And that's a very different message yeah. from the one before. So I think that's one of the concerns. right, As far as the gay marriage debate goes, there's probably better spokespeople for, than, <laughs> than me the who disagrees with them for that side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are plenty of, there are reasons out there to wonder about this move we're making in society without being a bigot, I think. Right.
0: I Yeah. I mean, because what you hear is that it's, you know, it's an attack on traditional marriage. And that's like, I always have to kind of screw my face up. Like, I don't get that. I'm sure people can write it and explain it to me,
1: but it doesn't. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense how it is. Well, and, and it, but I think for people who think it's it's dangerous to a life of faith, the that's what's dangerous about these attacks on these small businesses. Is that people go, wait this this is what we were talking about. Like yeah, and to me that's very counterproductive for a movement that was going in all the right directions before that. You know, right? And politically and effectively and strategically, um, I think you breed more resistance when it feels like you're bullying somebody. Yes, yes. So I would agree with that.
2: If I can jump in. I think a thing that you need to take into into consideration with these kinds of arguments is that a lot of people that are on the underside of this argument, that are lower on the ladder, that are working their way up, when you couch it as an argument of giving people their religious faith to keep these people down... I think you need to consider that there are there's a huge history in this country of people using their religion yeah. to keep people down, whether it's blacks or women or gays. So I think if you're getting pushback against you know uh, dogmatic religious beliefs, it's not just coming out of nowhere. They're not no, just no, no, doing no. it for fun. I, I mean, and, I don't think that's the case. And, and I think as much as as much as the people that feel oppressed need to take responsibility for having the discussion in, a, in an agreeable way. I think that the religious people need to be held accountable for doing the same. And I I see a lot less of that from the r- religious side of that argument.
1: I, I totally agree that there's a reason for that reaction. And I think just politically and strategically and, you know, from a like, what is the right thing to do point of view, uh, becoming what you have, been battling against is not the answer it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's easy not to be that at all and that the feelings that are wrapped up in that are perfectly understandable and legit Um, but i also do not think that like memories pizza was engaged in like a great systematic oppression Right. Right. These these become
0: little (laughs) emblems. These become tiny emblems that are made to stand for something bigger than perhaps what that little moment is. And then it it gets distorted and people sort of lose sight of what they were initially fighting for. Right. Because it's just easier to lock onto a this versus this than like a a big sort of conceptual thing. Yes. Right.
2: And I think part of it is that the argument can be be made, not that the, the company needs to be put out of business. I think that's complete overkill. But... I think if people want to express those feelings and you don't want to support them as a business anymore, I think that's fine. But I think for people that feel oppressed, they think that these little things, sounds very small out of context to say, oh, it's this one little pizza company. But when you've spent your life running into yeah. little pizza companies like that, it's not just that little piece of co- pizza company. They're, they're a, a very small piece in a big puzzle that's of a causing legacy. a problem. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I I totally understand that feeling and I think that's a perfectly logical argument. I also think that we lose sight of this is not just like Indiana white evangelical Christians that riffler laws protect. In fact, the mo- RFRA, sorry, religious freedom. I was going to say, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> this, this is term. My Washington speak coming <laughs> out. Religious freedom laws protect, in fact, the mo- the biggest numbers of people they protect end up being religious minorities uh, and prisoners. American prisoners. So, I think when we talk about remedies for this and and people on the left get really excited about knocking down every religious freedom law, you're going to have some consequences you really don't like and they're going to hurt the least among us as well. Wait, um, how are where where do the prisoners come in? Uh, because prisoners often use religious freedom acts to appeal for instance that they want to keep a beard oh, okay. while in prison. Uh Native Americans uh Sikhs often use Religious gotcha. freedom, right? To so say, stuff, "Hey, my yeah. dear employer, I need to wear this I need turban. To this is important." Uh, and because they're religious minorities, the employer is like, "What? I don't know. That's not part of the rules." And so they use that to, uh, to appeal. So I think we lose sight sometimes of like because we want to punish this former oppression that may or may not have been embodied by Memories Pizza. We end up taking out a lot of other protections for a lot of other people as well, and so it's not always. It's not always the preferred villain that you end up hurting, right? and I, think, and I worry about that a lot.
2: Right. And I think a, a common thing that I see from all areas of politics is that, or this is what I find dangerous, and I see this from all areas of the spectrum, is that things like this and the catastrophizing of small problems and then the going for the low, low-hanging fruit and the easy right. targets, the real danger of it for everybody if you if you just want to be self serving, realize the real danger of it is you're giving yourself and your people, whoever your your team is, you're giving the illusion that you're getting something done, and you're really not. Yeah, you're really not affecting any political change. So when you get into whatever hysterical dog pile, you feel great about yourself, but you've done nothing.
1: I th- I think you're, there is a lot of like raising of symbolism over actual tough changes. Like. Yeah making societal changes really really hard uh, sometimes closing a pizza place is not that hard right? and so I, yeah, I do think there's a focus on that because it's easier than tackling what would be the real problem. I so feel that's kind of what we're talking about this culture of outrage.
0: Um, let's take some questions. Yeah we got over, all deep I know. Some questions <laughs> which are actually kind of deep though over Twitter.
1: It's time for topic time. Uh, topic
2: time It's time for the topic time <laughs>
0: That was Brooks Whelan, who <laughs> rushed in because we did not have anything to play to indicate topic time.
2: No, and, it was because he thought it was too long.
0: Oh, yeah. It was that. It's oh, Topic Sombrero was too long. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh. I like Topic
0: Sombrero. It's yeah, let's just not it, scuttle Topic Sombrero no, entirely. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: it's the Topic Topic
0: Sombrero. It's time for Topic time. <laughs> It's the you sent them in. It's the Topic, uh, topic, topic Sombrero. Now pick the Topic and let's begin. It's the Topic
2: Sombrero. It's time for the Topic time.
1: I think the Topic time remix it was the perfect palate cleanser moving from a religious freedom gay marriage discussion me too
2: i could play some fart noises if you really want to change it.
1: <laughs> want, it, want to clear the air
0: <laughs> um but i have to warn you most of these questions are political sorry it's, right. it's my all job right. wayne says what are the top three things that can be done to fix washington oh good lord
1: <laughs> what's your platform mk <laughs> oh things that can be done to fix washington um the reason that I am right of center is because Washington is partly so dysfunctional because it is so gigantic a machine that nobody can get their heads around what the hell is going on there from day to day. It's why things fall through the cracks. It's why when the VA scandal happened months later, the wait times are up 50% because no nobody is being held responsible for that because there's so many people involved. Another one is this uh, hack of the OPM, the uh, Office of Personnel Management, where every federal employee's data went to the Chinese, uh, likely in this data hack. The person in charge of OPM literally said the other day, like, well, no one's personally responsible for this. It's like, that that (laughs) is the problem, right? And there are many other problems. But I think The largeness, like the scale of that city and so many special interests that are involved and so many things that so many plates in the air at all times means that regular citizens cannot be attentive to what's going on every day because that would be a full-time job. It's literally my full-time job and I'm not on top of everything that's happening every day. (laughs) That's why lobbyists exist because a nurse can't spend all day keeping track of what would be in her best interest in Washington. So a nurse's lobby does it for her. Right. Um, and when you have those groups in charge, yeah, the bigger ones are going to win and the more money wins and the bigger groups say, oh, you guys are writing some regulations. Let me help you with that. (laughs) And we will write some regulations that crush the competition. And it's just a, much of it to me is a symptom of like it being so unwieldy. It's corrupt. Yes. And the bigness allows it to go corrupt, to be corrupt almost without consequence. So the top three things you would do would be to get rid of that. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> you know, I would just take like three giant chunks of it and like s- just be done with them. Okay. Three departments. Pick, Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> From One Dirtbag says, would America be safer if we were educated in school
1: about and truly free to keep and bear arms? <clears throat> um, I think there's quite a bit of education about that outside of school which is fine with me there are plenty of pri- private organizations that do a great job of that one of the things i know the nra is like hugely vilified but what it actually does more than anything is educate people about how to do this safely mm-hmm. and they're very serious about it and their classes are actually quite effective um i don't think it needs to be in schools um, but i'm in favor of anybody and everybody teaching their kids and well, see, doing that
0: i don't he's saying if we were truly free to keep and bear arms, how are we like, not truly free to do that? Yeah, I, f- I feel like we are.
1: Okay. And it was specifically a school question, right? It Would America be safer if we were
0: educated in school about, comma, and truly free to keep and bear arms? So I think educated in school right. about arms and truly free to keep and bear I mean, arms. I mean,
1: I think it is it is worth discussing the history of, like, why we have a Second Amendment and that that's, that's a part of America's founding. And it's not just, like hey, I want to go hunting sometimes. Like right. There's a, <laughs> there's a reason for it. So I think that's just part of history. And- it's interesting because I thought his question
0: was going to be, would America be safer if people in school were armed? You know, right, like right, right. Would, school, would fewer school shootings happen? Um, but no, his question is if we were educated in school about guns and also if we were truly free to keep and bear arms. And I repeat myself when I say, in what way do you feel like your freedom is curtailed? I'm yeah, sure you I mean, have an answer. Yeah, but. there
1: there are people who have complaints. Largely, I think we do pretty well. The thing that bothers me about a a gun control argument is is always that every gun control argument is based on this fiction that there are no gun laws, which mm-hmm. is like just not at all the case. Um, and if you are a firearms owner, you are generally uh, responsible firearms no- owners know the laws in every different state. Uh, you know they get actual sheet that like the NRA sends out stuff so that if you're traveling you know exactly what to do you know exactly what the rules are in different places uh and so the idea that there are none instead of this huge web of federal and state regulations uh, is just not the case so I don't I don't like to start from a basis of like there are no gun laws we should make some that's not where we are is
0: that what you do you really think that's what the because I just to me gun control is we we want tighter laws although see and I'm I am I'm afraid of guns and I'm in favor of gun control. That being said, I am well aware when I say that, oh, we want tighter laws that like, well, that didn't really work with alcohol when we tried it. And I'm mean, i aware that prohibitive measures don't work. At the same time, I'm super uncomfortable with guns. And please don't send me information, people. I've already (laughs) read it. I know what you're (laughs) going to say. I think the
1: efficacy of gun control laws is something, is very very questionable. Um, I also think that I'm being a little bit uh, exaggerating a bit when I say people act like there are no gun laws, but I do think people who don't own firearms often do not know how many gun laws there are. Yeah. Because we're the ones obeying them, right? (laughs) I remember
0: one time you said to me on Twitter, you know what? And the funny thing, it's funny is the absolute wrong word here. Uh, The... And it's one of those things that's neither funny nor interesting. I don't know what it is. And I don't think it's truly ironic either. This was a couple weeks before Sandy Hook that you tweeted this to me. Um, before Sandy Hook. Okay. You had no idea. But you're like, would you go, hunt- would you go
1: shooting with me Yeah, because it came up on your Twitter account. And I was like, oh, I would take you shooting. Yeah. It'd be fun.
0: And I wrote back and I said, yes,
1: I would. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Afraid of guns, but competitive. I, I mean, it is. I will say I took my... I hate to be such a stereotype right now, but I did take my bachelorette party shooting uh-huh. um, and taught a couple women friends of mine who had not tried it before. They were great. Uh, and I'm in favor of women having guns. Yeah. Suck on that. <laughs> <laughs> and women actually end up often being better novice shooters than men because they haven't learned, they haven't like internalized that this is how I'm going to hold the gun. and right. This is how <laughs> I'm going to shoot yeah. somebody. Uh, so women are actually can be very, very good right off the bat. And mm-hmm. many of my friends were. So, oh, see, now I do want to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 1980s guy says, superior Benson, Guy or Doug
1: or the butler? Oh, my goodness. That's a really, really tough question. I know. I love all those Bensons. Guy is certainly the, well, I don't know how high Benson the butler ever was. I was going to say Guy's the less high of the Bensons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. But I'm going to have to go with Guy Benson because he is my co-author and I love him dearly. Yeah. Uh, but I would gladly hang out with all three of them okay. together. Perfect.
0: Um, I forgot that on Benson, he was the butler. In my memory, some- it's that he was the mayor, but I don't think he was. No. But was it butler? It was a butler, wasn't it? Do you know, Jeff?
2: how would i know yeah i know he was the (laughs) butler for the governor okay oh and then i think at the after they kind of jumped the shark after a couple seasons he did get like he was he became in office either he became part of his cabinet or got his own job
1: i i did just have a flash like just like straight out of my book that was like oh my gosh people are going to call me a racist because I just assumed the black guy was a butler. And <laughs> no, that's not the case. I, really didn't. I, the was familiar, I was familiar. I was familiar with Benson.
2: <laughs> yeah. He started out on, on uh, soap. Yeah.
0: But the question said he was the butler. What I remember from right. that is Missy gold sister of growing pains. Tracy gold was on the show. I think she was maybe the governor's daughter. Uh-huh. Uh, quite, quite a, they're like the Barrymores that family. It's a real acting dynasty. <laughs> Chuck Bentley says why UGA instead
1: of Auburn or Alabama? <laughs> Um I my father went to UGA it had a decent journalism school which is what I was looking to do uh Grady woo woo um I love football and I was sort of raised a Georgia fan which sort of precludes Alabama and Auburn sorry guys uh and they gave me some scholarships so that I didn't leave school many many thousands of dollars in debt that's Yay. nice. Doug Wood says, this is, this Go is dogs. A, a two tweet
0: question. Is there any position of objectivity in news today or is it all slanted, some left and some right? Uh, second tweet. Who has control over news these days? Those who
1: select stories, report them or other? I think the proliferation of outlets, first of all, is like unquestionably wonderful. I like To me, it's just great because... I like that there can be plenty of different people producing news who say straight up, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Please take my reporting with a grain of salt or whatever you need to take it with. Um, I am somebody who cares about the facts, who started out as a reporter, who definitely has a point of view, um, but tries to be an honest broker of what I'm talking about. And I think being honest about who I am helps people determine what they should think about what I say. So I enjoy that. I do think that there are genuinely good reporters out there who are maybe left of center or right of center, but who are objective in, in asking questions. Everybody's always going to have a complaint. And I don't think I don't think that there was this golden age of objectivity that everyone thinks there was. Right. Like <laughs> that the that the Cronkite days were perfect. No, three outlets for news actually wasn't that great. And we have so much more access and not just access, but access to primary resources. Like you can go on and see a speech online from a politician instead of just reading the AP report. Mm-hmm. Which often does give you a different perspective, but you have the ability to find that now. You didn't have that before. Uh, Joel Kimball says,
0: do you like the new Red Eye, whatever it's called now, more now that Greg Gutfeld is gone? And also, how short is Gutfeld? I haven't I haven't seen – has Tom Shalhoub officially taken over? I
1: think they might relaunch this week. Oh, really? I'm okay. a little out of it because I'm on the book yeah. tour. But it's relaunching, either has relaunched very recently or is relaunching shortly. I wonder I like how different it will be, if it's going know. to be different. I like Tom Shalhoub a lot. Yeah, me too. I think he'll do a great job. Um, Greg's still in the building. I'm sure he'll have, you know, uh, right. he'll be involved from time to time. I love his new show. It's so yes. Greg. It's perfect, Greg. Perfectly yeah. Greg. We, I was on the second episode of it, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And Greg is, um, he's a little guy. Is he like 5'4", five, 5'6"? let's say maybe a little shorter than five six because I'm five six might be like five five but it's hard to tell because whenever I'm at Fox I'm wearing heels yeah I think. so I could be exaggerating because I'm taller I'm fake taller <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a slight he's man. A, he's a compact man mm-hmm. yeah and
0: also in the time that we've known him he's been chunky and in shape <laughs>
1: <laughs> i do I do love and I've told you this before that fox kind of just lets him be greg yes and i think it's that's kind a really of crazy cool thing. It's surprising yeah and it, anybody who has sort of a caricature of fox news would be surprised by that but red eye has been this amazing platform for comedians and who i mean goodness knows who and libertarians and crazy wacky folks to get on tv and right. They've put together this product that works yeah and they let greg do his thing which i think has been really cool both for the network and for him right yeah it is
0: it's in the beginning, especially, it was like, "What is this show doing on Fox News?"
1: No, nobody so understands. Strange,
0: yeah. Um, okay, and then lastly, Joel Kimball also wants to know, "What's it like to be so awesome?" Does it get annoying when people throw rose petals
1: in front of you as you walk? Uh, it depends on the color of the rose. <laughs> I prefer yellow. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Unless that was sarc- sarcastic. No, I think it's genuine.
0: <laughs> um, all right. I think we should do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on
1: something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? It's oh. time Just Me or Everyone. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, Ryan Hero says, just me or everyone, secretly jealous of people with the audacity to walk their dogs in strollers in public.
1: Ooh. I don't know if I'm jealous of that. Yeah. Unless you put your dog in a stroller in public in which case I will swiftly act like that's adorable. Right, right. No, I don't. Um
0: I we bought a stroller for Wendy the first time we were going to go to New York because I was trying to figure out what do we do if we're she was a puppy then, she still is a puppy, but I was like what do we do if
1: we are in public with her? I will say I I do admire audacity in people and one of the things that cuz they're unapologetic. Yeah. And I and I sometimes am too shy to Give a complicated coffee order at Starbucks, which I know is like a—they're th- comfortable with that, right? That's, That's they- their thing. And I get like, oh, I don't know, I want to be really low maintenance about right. it, right? It's what? a latte, like I can, I can, I can hype it up a little what bit would if I want, want to. I don't know. I get weird about the vocabulary, and am I saying the right thing, right? And- is it grande or grande? <laughs> <laughs> so I- I'm going to work on it. My audacity is going to go through the roof on, all right on, my, on just in this area on it's coffee s- orders this season of audacity yes. regarding starbucks
0: um <laughs> so anyway we did buy a stroller because i was thinking if we're on the street in new york it might just be easier to transport her that way but we didn't take it with us and then we ended up returning it
1: um well with the number of ridiculous contraptions that i've put my child in over the <laughs> various two years i really can't judge marvin the earthling
0: says just me or everyone within 48 hours after grocery shopping eat food like there's an infinite supply Within 48 hours after grocery shopping i mean when there's more food in the house yes i suppose i do want to eat all of the things i bought if i I bought anything fun or new or different then i want to try it right away so that's why i try not to buy anything by the way i'm excited
1: about your low carbness oh thanks it's yeah it's uh
0: It's been a while since I've had a chip, which was something that I used to always want. I was just thinking about it because I'm going to New York next week. By the time you hear this, I will be back. By the time the listeners hear this. And I was thinking – because I'm excited to stick to my low-carb thing. But then I started thinking about all the things in New York that I love. I'm like, oh, fuck.
1: Those are all carbs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But the reason – but I don't want to eat anything super carby because then I'm going to have to get back to low-carb. And that takes time. And it will make me feel icky. And
1: Yeah, it does feel good. I'm not super strict, but I'm – Naturally, a little bit more low carb than not. I would say, right? Uh, and it does feel good.
0: It does. I'm no actually. longer going to be lean cuisine's bitch.
1: <laughs> it
0: is weird. I'm now. I'm. I'm so drinking the Kool Aid, and I so sound like one of those people. But. It really is making me less hungry. Yeah. I really do think that eating carby things, I don't know if it's cuz it makes your blood sugar go up and down or whatever it is, cuz I'm I've been I think everyone just has their trigger foods that if they eat a little bit of it they want more. They're going to continue. Yeah, and that's what carbs are for me. So now that I've just taken out everything that I enjoy eating, it's so much easier to not <laughs> eat very much. <laughs>
1: See, I naturally just like to eat bacon and cream, so it's like, "Oh, this is this is the life, really." Yeah. Yeah, you're you're who? things like Atkins diet were invented for. <laughs>
0: um, okay. James Leroy Wilson says, I don't mind when I make their, there, their mistakes, but hate myself for they and then mistakes. I don't like either of those in myself. Then, then, no, they're both your, your, there, 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 then, then is awful. Yet I'm totally cool with having no idea where a
1: comma goes. I'm, and I know that there are people who notice that. I'm pretty strict on those grammar mistakes for myself. Further, farther I'm trying to get better at because that one I just completely what is I don't know what the I think rule is. further is figurative and farther is physical. Okay. So Although that could distance. be getting them mixed up, I'm sure I'll get tweets about that <laughs> if I did. Uh and the one that I do hate these days is it's possessive. Oh yeah. Without the apostrophe. The iPhone autocorrects it to IT apostrophe S. And so I'll send actual tweets with that mistake in it. Yeah. And it's devastating. I
0: can't decide if <laughs> autocorrect is
1: worth it. Dude, mine gets dumber every day. Today, it texted songbook to someone. Do you think I was saying songbook, Siri? No, no. What were you saying, though? I can't even remember, but it definitely wasn't songbook.
2: I've I've tried turning off autocorrect, thinking it's more trouble than it's worth, but it's a disaster. The, the, the amount of words that it corrects versus how many it screws up is actually oh, no. it's pretty I know. good. It so is helpful. So you realize your
1: true level of
2: no it's not my <laughs> fault it's their their little keyboard and yeah. you know versus human fingers if you go straight with what you type it's it's a disaster i tried it
0: um the person who's autocorrect and each disable is my mother because people of of our generation will send something notice that it is autocorrected and then send another text where it's the same mistake again and yes. then write uh and then finally get it correct my mom will just i am trying to think of one of let me see if i can just pull up one of her texts i probably can't but um uh okay i'm just going to make sounds into the microphone until i find this Um, my phone
2: recently had a streak of wanting to replace the word like with a certain word that is a uh a uh, slang word for a jewish person
0: oh no way (laughs) that's amazing yeah
2: (laughs) like why is your phone racist that's what i said (laughs) yeah mine
1: is uh i I swear mine just gets dumber i thought that it like learned from you as you typed but apparently i'm not a very good teacher
2: yeah i don't see that happening i i was trying to delete the word tine t-i-n-e as in Mm -hmm. a fork tine right because it would constantly pick that over time i clearly am never gonna use the word tine in a text it's just (laughs)
1: I'm so often talking about fork tines I can't remember. I can't
0: find it, but I think I mentioned that my dad um, has atrial fibrillation sometimes, which is a non, uh, non, very non serious heart thing where your heart will start either beating erratically or beating very fast. So they had to spend the day in the hospital, and she was updating me, and she's like, "He has studio," <laughs> but then she didn't say anything else. Yes, what? Now? And I said, "What? What? What studio?" And I forget what she said, but. Um. Yeah, she doesn't realize when she when autocorrect messes her up. Okay, let's see here. Todd Campbell says, after eating, I use the condensation from my glass of ice water to wash my hands. I've done that before.
1: Yes, I think, in, especially in a ribs situation mm-hmm. or something yes. sticky. That's a perfect solution. James Leroy Wilson again says don't
0: understand why rich and famous people open restaurants at best it's a headache no upside i have always heard that restaurants it's very impo- it's very hard to make a profit it's doing super a restaurant hard. yeah super hard i guess it's kind of like a vanity project
1: yeah it's probably nice to go in and get the royal treatment, but I feel like I could just pay somebody extra at a restaurant to give me the royal treatment right. instead of the overhead of a restaurant. Exactly. I think, that's, that's what I'm going to do when I'm rich and famous.
0: I think Joe Coy just co-opened a restaurant. Yes. I think I noticed that mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um, Jake Tedford says, just mirror everyone, driving in the left lane and the car in front moves over. I feel compelled to speed up to get in front of them regardless. Sometimes. Oh, guess what happened to me this morning? What's that? I got rear-ended. I was on my way to a meeting, and I was stopped at a light. And then suddenly, I heard that crunch, and I, I'm like, "Did that just happen?" And see, being as apologetic as I am, I'm like, "Was that somehow my fault?" Even though I was (laughs) stopped, Um, but it was like it was such a slow impact. Even though the crunch was like a little more sickening than it should have been, that I decided. Not – and I kept looking in my rearview mirror like, bitch, <laughs> you just hit me. Are you going to give me any sort of indication that you – Oh, know- there's no nothing? No. She gave – like, nothing. Um, And so I just – I was like, if I pull over and do the whole thing where we exchange inf- – I mean, first of all, I'm in the middle lane right now. So I don't know how I'm going to gesture to her to pull over and exchange information. I feel like that's just understood, but... I know. But she was acting like she didn't see me. And... I... You know, I actually put my car in park to just get out and go look at the back. Yeah. But then I'm like, the second I do that, it's going to be... It's going to be a one-person Chinese fire drill. That's what that's called, right? Where you yep. run around the car. That's probably... going to turn...
1: You need a trigger warning on that. Green. You can just say stuff like I know. I actually.
0: <laughs> I actually. I'm sure there's some better way of putting that. Um. So... I uh, I just I'm like fuck it. I'm probably going to regret that I'm not making um, that I'm not making a thing of this, but I'm not going to. And then I pulled over, uh, and I was like, is she gonna pull over with me though? And I I I didn't make her stop or anything. I looked, and there's like a tiny scratch on the mm. bumper. But why are bumpers made out of crepe paper anyway? I know. That's a separate point. So. But then I got to the meeting and um, – So
1: she didn't make any move to pull over no, at all? No, She Ew. actually was like
0: – Yeah, it was very strange. And I was like looking in my rearview mirror trying to jot down her license plate. There was a six in it. So I'm sure it'll be easy for my insurance mm. company to track that down. <laughs> but then – So Gre- I had the meeting with Greg uh, from the Thursday show. And I told him about what happened. And he's like – He looked and he's like, oh, yeah, that's nothing. So then I felt good about okay.
1: it. Probably – Buff just, right out. Buff right out. That's, that's right. It, it, honestly, you
0: wouldn't even it, – it, She was like –
1: Going so slow when it happens. I just feel like I would be like, excuse me, ma'am, you are going to abide by the rules of society. It does not all fall apart. Pull over and then I shall say with grace, this looks fine. Let's move on. (laughs) If I wasn't on
0: my way to a meeting and I knew that it was going to make me late, then I
1: I probably would have. The weird thing is this is the second time. And also getting over from the middle lane in LA is not exactly... The same as other places. This is
0: the second time this has happened to me, something like that. The other time, though, I got out and I it, were at a at a stop sign uh, trying to turn right onto, like, a busy street. So I'm like, oh, we're going to be here forever. I got out and I'm like, you hit me. She's like, I know. Is it bad? I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> but it's weird. But... It made me think, I wonder if I had, and I don't want to find out, but if I had been hit even harder, would I have the same reaction of, oh, I don't want to get out of my car? Like, was that a evolved sort of everything's cool, I'm just going to keep going, or was that because I'm conflict averse? Yeah, you were
1: rationalizing (laughs) conflict averse. I I think
0: it might be that. I think my reaction usually is to not do anything.
1: This is why I like, by the way, having my old car, because the cost-benefit analysis is a lot easier on like, eh, you hit my bumper. See ya. <laughs> we don't need to waste 30 minutes on this. Jeff and I have talked about that. The the, the comfort that comes with having a beater oh, is It's so Wonderful. liberating. It is so nice, especially if you live in a city because people are going to ding you all the time. Yeah. I had a tour bus hit uh, my car one time. As I was walking up, it was like slow motion. As I was walking up to get in my car, tour bus took a long, uh, like a two wide right turn. Oh, gee, And just the rear view mirror got knocked off and flew literally at my head. I'm watching it in slow motion go past my head. I was like, I think that's from my car. <laughs> they did pay for it. so Good, good. Do you still have that car? I do. My 2002 Honda Civic. Look at you. My How husband many... keeps trying to wean me off of it, but it has never worked. How many miles does it have on it? 160,000. I'll get that sucker to 200 and that's then I'll feel right. good.
2: You can get another 160 out of it. <laughs>
0: Jennifer Tokaji says there's no difference in the results between a mascara brush that claims to lengthen and one that claims to make fuller just smear everyone hashtag gal chat. um th- I think sometimes the ones that are supposed to make your eyelashes fuller like do deposit little fibers on them but in general I in general I think I agree
1: in general I like a no. No muss, no fuss mascara, like the old. Oh, which school, one is that? Is that the uh, the Maybelline one and the, the pink old school too? Pink, I knew it. Maybelline. I know my makeup. <laughs> and the and the CoverGirl Lash, Lash Blast in the orange are the ones that the Fox makeup artists go to, and they have oh, really? access to whatever they want. So That's I just true. think those must be the those ones be that are good ones. So I just go with those. What I think the Maybelline of- is my favorite.
0: I'm currently in in a bad way in terms of makeup remover in that I've run out of my favorite eye makeup remover, which is Clinique, and I can't get off my butt to go to the store. So I've just bought eye makeup remover from the drugstore, and it stings so much. Are you, you on use? the
1: Are you on the coconut oil train yet? With I was- the low carb stuff.
0: I was using coconut oil on my arms in the shower. I'm not on the eating it train.
1: Because I will wash my face and then use coconut oil on my eyes to get the remainder off.
0: And it doesn't make your face ridiculously goopy. It feels great. Really? It's a
1: nice level of moisturizer. It's not like
0: Vaseline or something. No, 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 no. And it doesn't make you break out.
1: Not me, no. I wonder if it would make me break out. But it does nice for the makeup. All right.
2: Does it make you hungry for ice cream?
1: It, it sometimes smells like 1980s Hawaiian tropics. Like oh, I like, like that smell. Like, mm, I'm on the beach in 1987. I like that. Bruised by Dawn says,
0: wait, one more, one more gal chat moment. Have you ever gotten a gel manicure? No, I have not. I just got one for the very first time. I think listeners, regular listeners know. I'm not a manicure person, but just recently I have gotten manicures and I just got my first gel manicure. They do look nice. Thank you. I really like it. I am worried about whether it's safe and healthy, though, because you do put your hands... Well, this one, it was LED light as opposed to UV light, but I'm still like, is this is this okay?
1: I don't know. Mm, it's probably okay. Uh, probably
0: once in a while. I probably shouldn't do it all the time, though. I have
1: been getting my nails done, and I I'm not usually a manicure person, but on the road and taking a bunch of pictures and doing a bunch of public events, I can't have my normally ratty nails, which is what they normally look like. So I just keep walking into random places and being like, here, fix these. But it's a real crapshoot. Some people are very gentle. Some people are a little too much for me. Yes. I don't like the feeling of it. I like the security of just sitting down and doing my own nails. And it's a pain, but I've gotten pretty good with my left hand (laughs) and I can manage it. When they're doing the cuticle trimmer, that's when I'm like, Yeah.
0: Here we go. Sometimes I just want to tell them.
1: Can you give me like the seven year old girl manicure that doesn't include the pushing back in the grid? Can I do that? that Actually, I
0: think just polish change is an option. Okay.
1: I'm going to go with that in the future. They'll judge you, though. I'm a child.
0: (laughs) They probably Um, will. Yeah. Bruised by Dawn says When an obvious, less than savory bot follows me, I wonder what the hell did I post to trigger that?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I've had that before. I have a couple bots that respond to odd cuz I get odd tweets at me so they include my handle right. in them so I get drawn into the bot world same by crazies who may post something to me.
0: Uh Ethan Malstrom says and this is the last one just mirror everyone. Um Oh, this is, this is one to read in front of Jenna. But hate when Jenna Kim Jones leans away from the mic when laughing. My ears want to enjoy the full force of that infectious sound.
1: Oh, she That's does have not a very just nice you. laugh. She does.
0: She has a, a good laugh and a good voice.
1: And wow. She, she's kind of my hero on the... Uh, she, I have the same relationship with regular Coca-Cola that she has with Diet Coke. Okay. And so listening to her distinguish was really... It was like watching a master at work. It yeah,
0: it was pretty amazing. The way she like swished it around her mouth and she was she knew instantly which one was which. Now you have the same relationship with regular Coke, meaning you prefer fresh Coke from
1: McDonald's? No, I have a different hierarchy than she oh, has, but I I start with can from the gas station. I like that sort of tinny bite. Yeah. And then go to uh the fountain.
0: Yeah. I I just feel I I just there's no fountain soda that I uh think is as good as can. I yeah, just McDonald's need the purity is, of a can. She's right
1: about McDonald's; it's pretty good, right? But I, I put can above, and occasionally I'll put the little tiny glass bottles above, even the can. Oh wow, that's a special occasion, right? For yeah. Okay, <laughs> Jeff, where are you with?
0: It's sodas? food we're talking about. This is important.
2: <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have a favorite soda, really. I, I started liking Diet Coke. I thought it was disgusting at first, but then I kind of grew to like the saltiness of it. Um, I don't think I've ever gotten diet coke from a fountain, but I I I do love a coke every now and then. I usually get it from a can, but but McDonald's does have some complicated uh fountain filtration special system. Al sent us all an email that yes, described it in great detail.
1: <laughs> I uh. I do not drink diet. People tell me if I switched that I would only – like I'd be a devotee, which is probably yes. true. Because when I've quit drinking Coke for a little while and then go back to it, I'm like, wow, this is really heavy. It's Serpy, crazy, yeah. yeah. But I do love it. And I remember when I had first moved to D.C. and I was like a little bit more country mouse and I accidentally <laughs> got served a diet Coke. And I was sitting across from a new friend uh, in the D.C. area and was like, this Coke is rotten. There is something <laughs> wrong with this Coke. Will you try this? She's like, that's that's a Diet Coke, sweetie. Yeah. That's so funny. I do the opposite if I'm afraid I got a real
0: Coke. Yeah. Like, will you taste this?
2: Yeah, it tastes a little like poison when you first get it, but you kind of get used to it. But it, yeah, it's the same thing with Coke. If you don't have Coke for a long time, you taste it and it's the sweetest thing ever. Or yes. like sweet tea. Oh, I, w- yeah. I went and visited a friend of mine in the South and oh, I got barbecue changing. and you have to get sweet tea with barbecue. And the first sip I had of it, I thought my teeth were going to fall out of my head. It was like, this is insane. But by the time I was a quarter of a way into it, I just pounded the whole yeah, thing. It was get, like, are there free refills?
1: As someone from, from, as someone from the South, you just get that tolerance up until you hit diabetes and you're <laughs> good to go. Yeah. By the way, a little throwback, but the wedding that you went to in mm-hmm. Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. With Paul Rudd in a biscuit bar, biscuit bar. <laughs> is pretty much my idea of heaven. Like those are all my favorite things in one place. It, it was, sounded amazing.
2: It was amazing. Oh, there were what are they, There were three Pickering kinds of so biscuits pretty. and I don't know how many kinds of gravy. Yeah, it was I great. was
1: ashamed of all myself and all my southern friends that I'd never been to a wedding with a biscuit bar. How could this have happened?
2: I know, and it seemed like a very special thing that I think they thought up. But for all weddings, especially all weddings in the South, there should be a biscuit block. It should Obviously. be automatic. Yeah. It should be like yeah. dancing.
0: Um, I have a Just Me or Everyone I just thought of right now, uh, and it's in the food world. So if I'm out to lunch with someone, and I order a salad, and they order a burger, or I order a Diet Coke, and they order a Coke, and then the server comes around and gives me the more like gluttonous thing, I'm always like... Do I look is it Do I look like someone who would have ordered that? Like, why did you assume that that person got the salad? Are you calling me fat? Like, I have that. I'm wondering do other people feel that way if their order gets mixed up? That is a reflection of them.
1: I don't think I feel that, but I'm generally the one ordering the gluttonous thing. So <laughs> go out with me; they'll give it to me. I bet you.
2: <laughs> the weird thing I do is at Mexican places when they say, "Do you want corn or flour tortillas?" I don't. I don't know if there's a right one or if you just like the one you like, and then there's the other one. But there's always part of me that thinks, well, which is the one that the white guys order? Right. Because I want to be cool. I want (laughs) to order the the muy (laughs) autentico. So then I'll, I'll make my choice. I'll be like, well, corn, of course, is there any other? Doesn't
0: corn seem more (laughs) autentico? Yeah,
2: I don't. But so I do that stupid thing. And then when they come back, they go, okay, uh, did you order the corn tortillas? And, And I don't remember which one I'd ordered because I ordered it capriciously. Right. And I think, well, that's the white guy move is to order one with no basis in reality because you're trying to look cool. And then when they bring out the cool one, you don't even know if they're yours.
1: You should just bring the, what does the chef recommend to the Mexican restaurant? (laughs) the chef recommend?
0: (laughs) Are they fresh? Um... Mary Catherine Ham, thank you so much for being on my show again. Sure, of course. This was super fun to catch up. Everyone should go out and buy this book called End of Discussion. And uh, I'm sure there's all sorts of places to get it, but I would recommend clicking through the Amazon banner on Indeed. my website, com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you guys for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. Uh, we have two ringtones available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You need that and you also need
2: touch touch the tushy, tushy, touch the tushy, touch touch the tushy, tushy, touch the tushy, You can touch,
0: get these touch, the on gumroad.com. It's touch, a weird touch, name, but that's its name. G-U-M-R-O-A-D, like a road made of gum, slash Allison Rosen. Gumroad.com slash Allison Rosen. You can get them both there. Uh hey go fuck yourself, you can also get on iTunes. And we have two special bonus episodes available, recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. First one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. Next one with Doug Benson, musician Matt Costa, at the former Thursday gang. Those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. See me live at Bumbershoot over Labor Day weekend. I'll be doing my podcast all three days. Tickets are on sale now at Bumbershoot.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen follow shows Twitter feed at ARIYMBF email us ARIYMBFshow at gmail.com I'm on Facebook I'm everywhere sort of and uh, where can everyone go to find you and I plug am, anything you want to plug
1: I am at MKHammer on Twitter at MK Hammer Time on Instagram I keep hoping that MC Hammer will reach out even just for a like a copyright a violation kind of thing <laughs> uh, but ha- has not yet uh, MKHammerTime.com And End of Discussion is the book. I genuinely would not ask people to read it if I didn't think that it's a fun and easy read. Um, And there will be plenty of moments where people who disagree with me politically will be like, "Eh, I don't know about that. And that's fine. That's the point. Um, So I hope you'll give it a shot and enjoy. And my co-author is at Guy P. Benson.
0: Thank you. And Jeff, where should we go for you?
2: I'm Colonel Jeff Fox on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And there's a new episode of Barracuda Radio that's out now with... John Worster, drummer from Super Chunk and also comedy partner of Sharpling and Worcester, Barracuda
0: Nice. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye.
2: Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen new best friend.